Hi, and welcome to the Human Side of Business podcast. I'm Angie Cabe, CEO and co-founder of Intuity Performance. I'm a performance coach, HR professional, whole person leadership facilitator, and your host. The Human Side of Business podcast is fueled by the genuine curiosity to understand how personal characteristics and skills can be leveraged to drive individual and team performance, tangible outcomes, and ultimately organizational success within business. Each podcast is devoted to sharing knowledge, expanding our learning edges, and exploring the trends in corporate culture towards growing the emotional intelligence of organizations. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, William, and welcome to the Human Side of Business podcast. I'm so glad to have you here with us today. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me. Yes, our pleasure, or I should say my pleasure. I'm used to talking in plural because of my business partner. Um, But everyone, I'd like to give a warm welcome to William Buist. He is a speaker, business mentor, and author of Intentional Mastery, which is a step beyond your expertise and and build better business. And he's a keen photographer. You should check out his website. I did. The photography is beautiful. Um, He's a walker and skier. And so William's philosophy or his thought process is really about enabling business owners to become the masters of their markets, operate more effectively, and stand out from all of their competitors. With a strategic focus on building better business every day, William's clients are the at the heart of their work, making better decisions, and empowered to excel. So William, tell us a little bit more about your business and what you set out to do. Oh, thanks, Angie. That's, uh, I set up my business uh, 20 years ago now. It's amazing that how the time flies. Um, I'd had a career in insurance. I'd got to some quite senior positions in the organizations I worked in. And in those positions, I was working with big project teams, bringing people together, learning about how they all interacted and and observing the way that people learned as adults. And uh, that's not quite the same as when we're kids. You know, we learn in a different way. And uh, from that experience and from the experience of working with business owners from when I set up my own business, I've developed this model that I call the the journey of mastery. Um, And it really starts when we uh, don't know anything about uh, a topic. And I call that stage we're explorers. We're hungry for knowledge. We want Mm. to understand what it is that this topic is about. Um, And as we get that knowledge, we then start to think about how we can do uh, work in that area. And that's when we become a novice. Mm -hmm. Um, Novices... Uh, as the name suggests, don't have a lot of experience yet. They haven't got the skill bedded in yet even. So they're making mistakes, but we all learn from those mistakes. The novice is gradually through practicing the skill and making those mistakes and learning from them, they become what I call practitioners. Mm -hmm. And practitioners are those people who do a great job at what they do, provided nothing is out of the ordinary. As soon as something is a little bit different, they tend to get thrown off track a little bit. Um, so, you know, when you phone up uh, to have an inquiry with a client company that you bought something with and you phone up and you ask them a question they haven't heard before, they struggle to answer it. But if it's the question that, you know, they've heard a thousand times before, they have no problem answering it. So that's mm-hmm. the practitioner level. And they're seeking more experience. And as they get more experienced, 
so they become expert and and usually they at that point start narrowing down the area that they know well so a practitioner might be working in an accountancy doing all sorts of accounting work but as they develop towards an accounting partner they may be focused on tax or they focus on corporate finance or they focus on uh, mezzanine finance or you know some narrower area and they get the deep expertise in that area and for a lot of people that's where the journey kind of stalls Mm. but I think there's one more step and that of course is the step to mastery where you really understand a narrow topic at an extraordinarily detailed level Mm. and they're the people we know them when we come across them the people who just stand out in their market in you know in the uk where i am uh, you see uh, people playing soccer and you see there's a few people at the very top of their game uh these are more international sport we've just had wimbledon here just before we um we recorded this podcast uh won by a, a young spaniard uh who uh, alcaraz who uh has obviously you know developed those skills and is now taking on the the old masters but when we look at the people like Roger Federer and, you know, we just know they were at the top of their game mm. um, and there was very little that would throw them off track. Mm-hmm. They could have a hard com- a- opponent and they'd still dig deep and find ways to win the game. And that's what Master is about. So that's the kind of quick overview of the journey of mastery. And I saw that happening with the people that I worked with in corporate. I see it happening with my clients today. And what I try to do working with them uh, now is to find the areas where they have that expertise already, where they can hone it, and then help them to look for insights into how they can become even better at what they do from other areas of their life. Um, and you mentioned in the introduction, I'm a keen photographer, um, and I kind of find myself using photo- photography as a way of thinking about the business leaders that I'm working with and thinking about what picture are they painting in the world? What picture mm. do people see when they turn up in the room? And, you know, can we tweak the lighting a little bit to shine it on the area of their real talent and bring that into the foreground so that they stand out in their markets? And that's kind of an example of how I'm using insight from other areas of my life to bring to bear on the mentoring work that I do, the work with business owners and business leaders to really expose their talent and allow it to come to the fore. I'm really, there's a lot of golden nuggets in here, William. So starting with the most recent piece of it, I really enjoyed your parody in the sense of shining a different light. To me, what I heard was looking at it from a different lens to ensure that we're intentionally looking for individuals' expertise or skill sets to come out in a different light or lens. And so as you're working with companies over the past 20 years, William, what have you noticed have been the biggest barriers to shift those lenses? I'm really interested to hear your experiences around that. So there's there's a couple of things. Um, I work generally with sort of fairly small businesses, uh, but, you know, who are who are hungry to be the best they can be in their market. They're often mm-hmm. specialists uh, in their own right. So they're already thinking about being uh, masterful, if you like. They're already looking to be 
the one go-to company in that area. So if they're graphic designers, for example, they may focus on graphic design for the building industry, uh, as an example. Uh, quite a narrow niche. Now they've got to stand out in a market that has a multitude of graphic designers. There are you know thousands and thousands of type Google, uh, graphic design into Google. I don't know how many pages you get back, millions probably. So by focusing in on a really clear target market and by thinking about uh, how they can describe their knowledge of that market really well in their marketing, they'll start to stand out. But the, the biggest single barrier is that I find businesses are a bit frightened of doing that. They're frightened of narrowing down to something that, that appears quite small if they want to grow. They think I'm closing off the doors to all the other areas where I, I know I can still add value. I know I can still be great and do a really good job. And that's true. They are closing those doors deliberately. This is why I talk about intentional mastery. Close them deliberately because if you are able to provide a service to everyone, you don't look like you provide a service to anyone. Mm. So it, to stand out in a market, you have to be one of a few, not one of many. Uh, and by specializing, you may close some doors, you know, to use my example of a graphic design agency working in the building industry, they may close doors in the printing industry or in the publishing sector or in, uh, you know, insurance or banking, all those doors close, that's true. But every door in the building industry opens, and they get so much more opportunity because they are seen as the people who really understand that industry, understand what it needs, understand how graphic design could help, understand how they can bring their expertise, their mastery to bring a different experience from just a another graphic designer. Mm -hmm. So whilst you do close doors and they're frightened of that bit, you open many more. And the problem is you have to close the doors before you open the other ones. <laughs> That, that fear of having to close down markets, you know, move away from them at least, is a concern and it gets in the way. So that's that's one big fear. I think the other mistake uh, that business owners most commonly make is not letting go of enough stuff. So they, mm. they, they start their business, uh, they're the expert, they may be the only person in their business when they first start it, they, they've got their way of doing things. They grow the business. They start taking on uh, people to work with them. And then they hang on to things they really should let go of. Yes. yes. Maybe they, 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 they want to hang on to the marketing. They hang on to that. They hang on to sales. They hang on to delivery and, and working with clients. And they find themselves frazzled. You know, they've got, mm. they, they were busy, so they took on people. Mm. because they don't let go of things they're now busy and they have people management to do <laughs> yeah, so absolutely. It, and absolutely. suddenly it's really difficult um so letting go of stuff uh, is another big area where i certainly find my mentoring work uh, often is is involved in helping people to recognize what they can let go of what they can let go of but need to keep an eye on and mm -hmm. what they definitely keep hold of mm. uh, and i think too to add to to contribute to that piece on both parts, niching down, being a business owner myself, I have the same sort of fears in the sense of, especially in the economy that we're in, which I, I'm kind of curious to see what your thoughts are around that, because a lot of business owners are talking about 
adding a second market or even looking at pandemic proof um, markets and doing that pivot, right? So based on our climate, William, what's your experience in in staying true to a niche if the markets are hard? I, I think it actually gets more important, not less important. Um, so markets are hard. I think probably pretty much around the Western world at the moment. There's, you know, there's much higher inflation than we've been used to. Yes. Um, and that means all our costs are going up. But we're not able yet really to put our prices up in the same way. Mm-hmm. So it's that pressure on our profit margins that I think most businesses are seeing at the moment. Mm-hmm. And because there's a lot of chatter in the market and, and on the news and on the television about, you know, the cost of living and inflation and the difficulty in the market, people are thinking, well, my clients are going to be spending less. I'm going to try and spend less. So where in a, mar- in a time when we are spending less, when we're choosing to say, okay, well, I'm, I'm not going to spend as much on the stuff that the business needs. You know, I'm going to invest less this year, maybe invest more later. Where are we choosing to spend money? Mm-hmm. And what makes us decide to spend that money? Mm-hmm. And I think we're choosing to spend money more carefully. That's true. But when we do decide to spend our money, we want to be absolutely sure that the person we're spending it with is the right one, is the one that's going to bring us that value. And I think in that situation, you spend money with the experts and the masters and not the practitioners. You spend money with the people who are specialists in what you're buying. Absolutely. So if you're selling something specialist, be at the top of your game in it. That means mastering it. It means niching down and being that person, that business that provides that service in that market and nothing mm-hmm. else mm-hmm. so actually i think it's more important and again it's it's difficult if you're looking at your sales and thinking yeah but a year ago we were turning over x and now we're turning over x minus mm-hmm. because the market's tough maybe we need to go into a new market now i say double down tell the world even more strongly we are the specialists in this area this is what we do this is our powerhouse this is where we excel and this is why you should buy from us and not from somebody who's trying to do everything for everybody absolutely absolutely that resonates the second piece around letting go um i mean intuitive performance is four years young in comparison to to your experience william but so it's relative for us in that when you're building something as a business it's it's not it's not just about letting go and learning to delegate. I feel like it's letting go of a lot of things. It's, and I've, I've often tried to kind of turn it to a refillable cup thought process for my own business in the sense that, you know, it's more about trusting the people around you and really seeking out the, the experts in those areas to assist and help out. Um, and then also too, the way that I've motivated myself to let go is I get to build something and be really creative and try it out in the market. And then I can help other um, coaches or facilitator and or facilitators uh, by way of training them to do the same in making positive changes in emotional intelligence and leadership in the world, right? So it's I, it's definitely a lens or mindset shift when it comes to the letting go piece. Uh, I tend to agree, but you said something really interesting 
around niche going back to niching down and it's it's about being the right fit and the right one for that particular company which bridges nicely into the thought process around what we're here to talk about today intentional relationships so help me understand because often what what you speak to William has to do with like business operational processes and so sure. how do you, how do you get to that what people may dub as the softer side of which I think is core behaviors of intentional relationships. Yeah, and 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 it's funny, isn't it, that we call the the hard things soft and the soft things hard in business. <laughs> you know, the, the the soft relationships, uh, and as you say, you put them in inverted commas. They're not soft at all, are they? They 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 are hard, and they make and if you get them right, it makes a really big difference, not just to the performance of the business but to the lives of the people that are involved in absolutely. that in that performance it's absolutely uh, it's uh, fascinating uh, I, i'm going to go back to a story from a time when i worked in the uh, in a, one of the large british banks and, and ran a fairly large team of uh, which is in the insurance sector so we were underwriters and uh, senior managers and claims people and all sorts and uh, i used to say to them look we've agreed what our aim is to achieve this year. We've agreed some targets for the business as a whole. We've agreed targets for the department you're in. We've agreed targets for you, for the things that you need to achieve. Now, if you can do that in six months of the year instead of 12, we'll take the other six off. You know, if you want to go early on a Friday, I trust you to make the right judgment. Amazing. And say you know you're hitting the targets i need to hit i can i can go early because i'm up today i've got everything i needed done i trust you to do that they didn't believe me <laughs> <laughs> um at least not at first okay but but over time they did start to believe that i genuinely meant that and i did genuinely mean it yes of course we had holiday forms and things like that to fill in but I wasn't watching the clock and I wasn't checking that everybody was in from nine to five every mm. weekday. And, and you know, I, I trusted them to be, you know, engaged enough with what they were there to achieve and to recognize the challenges that were created when they left as well. So if they did go early and somebody was expecting to have a meeting with them, that's a problem, you know, because you'd made that arrangement. You need to honor the commitments you've made and so Absolutely. on. So there were some teething issues with making that work. But the more that we the more that we got the hang of this genuinely open to and it had to be two way as well. It had to be, a, you know, it had to be a communication. It wasn't an instruction from the boss to the to the team that the team then acted without talking back to the boss about how that was working for them. You know, we worked our way to a solution that meant people could be more flexible if something happened that meant, you know, their child was ill and they needed to be at home, they took the day. And, you know, that wasn't then recorded as a day off sick or a day on holiday. It was a conscious decision. And they then worked, you know, over the next week a little bit harder to catch the time up. And I was really cool with that. Mm, mm. The end result was the amount of trust that we built collectively around supporting each other and understanding what the interactions were and, and where work was and, and who needed that bit of work next and did they know when they were getting it and also it all started to happen without me having to manage it and it what the big change the mindset shift was around this idea that of command and control that the boss sets the targets and yeah. manages all the work yeah 
and became one of you know genuinely collaborative working and it was a, you know it was a fabulously fun time and that's again what i'm trying to do with the business owners that i work with i'm working with them to help them understand the benefits of letting go in that way mm. they're not actually letting go of the responsibility for everything to happen they're still you know they're still the business owner they're still accountable for the performance of the business absolutely but they they have this opportunity to allow people to be accountable for their own uh, performance within it and if you take that opportunity intentionally collectively and this is why we, i think intentional relationships is such a great expression as well i talk about intentional mastery but the relationships that we have as business people are what make the whole machine work absolutely so if we don't if we're not intentional about those relationships too if we don't have a strategy for them that you know and saying how am i going to approach the relationships i have with my people how am i going to deal with the difficult conversations too mm-hmm. when that's happened because they will yes you have people working with there will be times when you need to have a hard conversation mm-hmm. that says you know this isn't working this bit of you doesn't work for this bit of us and uh, that's always the way I try to help people to express it it's not about you don't work you know it's not about you as a whole it's about this bit of you this little bit of behavior this thing that I've observed that you're choosing to do in that way doesn't work for us mm-hmm. so it's not about this isn't about pointing fingers it's about finding collective solution absolutely Absolutely. And I enjoy where you're going with that, William, because same thought process in that difficult conversations have a really bad rep when in actuality, they could be considered maintenance conversations. They could be considered deeper conversations. They could be considered problem solving conversations, or maybe we're coming at it from a place of curiosity to understand because we know that over 90% of conflict really comes down to misconception or misconstrued communication in our behaviors, right? And and then all this other stuff comes out based on if we're emotionally charged or, you know, what happened in the past and we're telling ourselves the story, et cetera, et cetera. So really enjoying where you're going there. And and the whole time as you're speaking, William, what what continues to kind of ping at me inside when I talk about leadership is that oftentimes leaders have been taught on archaic models that worked well in a certain area, i.e. manufacturing or machining, command control, et cetera, et cetera. Now we have all these buzzwords around um, servant leadership and transformational leadership, et cetera, et cetera. There's 27 different styles. We know this, but the thing that I find most interesting around intentional relationships is that from a leadership perspective, we don't know what to do with all these buzzwords and you've nailed it. It comes down to trust. It comes down to communication and being really intentional as to how you want to interact with people from a place of greater good, not manipulation, right? Absolutely. And and I mean, I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's, it's down to trust. And one of the ways that we, I think, build trust the fastest is by uh, not just hearing what other people are saying but mm-hmm. really listen to it and i i recognized you know probably I, I don't know maybe 30 years ago that there's this thing about i think as children we first get that are you listening to me question 
<laughs> and, and I pondered, uh, you know, for quite a long time, but what is it? How do we know when somebody's really listening to us? And it's not just about them being quiet. And it's not just about them not interrupting. It's about them playing back what we've said in, in a different form of words and being curious about making sure Absolutely. that the meaning has been understood. And I, uh, I'm always mindful of a conversation that taught me a lot about that. Uh, it was when I was working for an American company and American English and certainly US English and British English very similar. We use the same words. They don't always mean the same thing. Mm. So um, the example that really taught me that was uh, we we're having a conversation about an upcoming meeting. And uh, the person who was attending the meeting said to me that they thought they should table uh, this area of discussion. And I thought that's a great idea. So that I, I agreed with them. And we ended up with a complete misunderstanding because in the UK, tabling something means putting it on the table for discussion. <laughs> and, in the, and in the US, tabling something means leaving it on the table so that you don't discuss it. Absolutely. And that's just one of those areas where, because I wasn't listening well enough mm. to pick up the intention, and there's that word again, behind <laughs> what was being said. And I thought I understood something because I used the same word. And that's why I say listening involves, I think, also playing back in different words. What I should have done is said, do you mean making it the subject of intense discussion? Right. And of course he would have said, no. <laughs> the exact opposite of that yeah yeah but we didn't have that discussion so the confusion remained and it didn't get discussed and that pushed a, a project in my opinion it pushed the project back in his opinion it made it easier to get it over the line later you know so we had this i we i might have agreed with him if we'd had a discussion about why he wanted to not have it not discussed absolutely we never had that discussion because we thought we'd agreed mm. so that Real listening is about trust. And I the other aspect you touched on was this leadership point around how do we really bring our people on? As leaders, we are, we're not leaders if we're not helping the people who follow us to advance their own journey. Absolutely. And the short journey of mastery I took you through earlier, you know, explorer, novice, practitioner, expert, and master, I talked in the, in the gaps between those you know, the, the explorer needs knowledge, the uh, novice needs skills, the practitioner needs experience, and the expert needs insight, new insight, different insight. As leaders, our job is to think about all of the members of our team and think where are they on that journey in the context of this part that we're working on? So what Definitely. do they need? Do they need knowledge now? Are they right at the beginning of the journey? Do they need knowledge? Or are they looking for more experience? You have two completely different conversations based Absolutely. on that question. And if you get that right for all of your people, you see them fly because they make that journey towards mastery much faster if they're getting the right information at the right time. Right. And the right opportunity. So it's a really, for me, it's a really key part of the work I do with business leaders is helping them to understand their team mm. and to think about, where are they as individuals on the journey I need them to be on? 
and therefore what support do I need to get for them? Do I send them on training courses because they need knowledge or skills, or do I send them, or do I give them more opportunity? Do I give them more chance to experience things uh, and build their experience? Um, com- again, completely different activities. The leaders yes. who excel are the ones who get that instinctively and just do it. And part of getting things instinctively is understanding where that instinct comes from and understanding what that journey is. That's why I wrote the book, is to help people to start making those decisions instinctively because they understand the background behind it. I think that's beautiful. And I'd like to, if I can, pro, uh, from a place of positivity, debate what you're saying a little bit. I agree with you in the sense of a, from an operational perspective in the workplace, it's very important to have what I would call um, a sustainable culture. So you're having things like training tracks and making sure that you are getting your team members up to speed. They have the skill sets. But I think what you're speaking to, just to be really clear, is that you're looking at what we would dub as a whole person. So it's not just about transactionally, and what can you do for me at Williams Business? And what courses can I technically send you on? It's an agreed upon conversation as to, as a whole person, how can Ange develop? So going back to those soft skills, when you get it, and I'm just imagining this, so so right side me, but when you get to the expert mastery side of things, that's where it gets softer in the sense of analytical skills and problem solving and being able to um, bounce back from challenges or have resilience and grit, et cetera, et cetera. All of those things to me, back into emotional intelligence. So I almost feel like there's there's two streams that kind of embed together. So it's understanding the the person in totality and where they're at to graduate through. But throughout this, there's things like confidence and blind spots and ego um, and <laughs> self-awareness, you know, all of these buzzwords again around emotional intelligence, but they're a real thing in the workplace, especially with leadership. And how do we set leaders up for success to really get them to work with that whole person? Because in my experience, what I've seen in past, it's like Sally's really good at accounting, but she sucks with people. I need to fire her. Right. And so it's more to me around the conversation of, okay, let's look at Sally as a whole. Let's get curious. Is it cultural? Is it based on past events? You know, what's going on with her in the sense of her self-awareness? Does she even realize that she, quote unquote, sucks with people, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that's kind of where my thought process kind of comes into it. But I'd like to hear a little bit more, William, um, on the flip side of it, if you have any other thoughts around that. Yeah, and I think you've, you've touched on something really interesting there. I, and I agree. I think these are overlapping. They're not coincident. They're, they're overlapping, looking at people in a slightly different way. Let's talk about Sally. Sally, who is good at accounting <laughs> okay. and analysis and sucks at people, probably means she's at different stages of, of, you know, certainly from an emotional intelligence point of view, there are different things going on. But she's also probably at a different stage in that journey of mastery mm. on those two skills as well. Mm. So she may be a practitioner expert in the accountancy analytical stuff. And so there, what she needs is stretching by giving her new insights, new opportunity to get experience and to try things in a new context so that she sees how that fits together. But in the people skills, she's probably just an explorer. Mm-hmm. Right? So there she doesn't, 
more experience isn't going to help her. In fact, if she sucks at people, you give her more experience, she's going to suck even more because she's going to just keep getting it wrong and that's going to piss people off. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so there what we need to do is think about, okay, if she sucks, this, but rather than sack her, why don't you help her with some insights and giving us some knowledge, some, yeah. some knowledge about what is happening and, and what were better alternatives? You know, there she might need, you know, basic training, uh, thinking about how do you build relationships and, and what's your impact in the workplace? What's causing the problem? And as a leader, this again comes back to, you know, our job as leader is to recognize that difference and to say, okay, so I've got a really great analyst here in Sally, but she's rubbish at people. So, you know, to take this a little bit further, if you've got somebody else in the office, let's call him Harry who's really good at people but sucks at analysis. Right. Well, when Sally meets Harry, all sorts of wonderful <laughs> things can happen. <laughs> That's brilliant, William. I have to give you that. Brilliant. And and the epiphanies that I'm having here right now in this moment is that based on the model that you're presenting, it's almost like it's overarching. So at 60,000 feet, leaders should be able to identify whether it's hard skills or soft skills, are they novice or at mastery? And I think that's absolutely powerful. And more people should be able to hear about this and get your book in their hands. And I'm jazzed up. I'm ordering your book. Um, I was going to anyways, but I'm definitely now because where this is pushing me to think from a place of excitement and intrigue is a different way to speak to leaders around the importance of their team members and how to grow them. Because that's the biggest question that I get um, oftentimes with um, the the coaching clients or even facilitation participants or it, within speaking engagements is how. Okay, this is great, and how? And so mm. tell me more. When it comes to changing that mindset to going from, I guess, day-to-day non-intentional operational thinking to intentional relationships around this model of being able to gauge individuals as a leader, what do you think it takes to fill those gaps from day to day to intentional? Great question. I think there's there's two aspects to being intentional. One is about your own internal desire to achieve the end goal, and that, that helps to create intentionality. But the other one is having the space and the time to be intentional. Mm. You know, the biggest challenge, you know, we talked about blocks to people earlier. You know, another block is that they're so busy that they don't have time to lift their heads up from the desk and go, you know, what's what's going on out there? What's happening? And, you know, big reason that leaders don't see those opportunities to drive the right activity with their people is that they're not spending time with them right they're they're in meetings they're locked away behind closed doors they're they're, they're, every now and again they have a you know maybe that the stand-up meeting at the beginning of the day or whatever way they choose to communicate with their team they throw lots of work out and then they don't see them again Mm. so they don't see what's happening and then the work comes back and it's not up to standard well, what a surprise, because they haven't spent any time with them to make sure they know what the standards are. But then, you know, then they get frustrated. And then, of course, they forget all of this good stuff about the intentional relationship they're trying to build. And they 
tell somebody off or they tell that isn't you know aligned with the mindset we've been talking about so that's the issue right right how do we solve that how do we create that time and uh one of the first things is it becomes self-sustaining when you create when you first create the time to do it which we have to carve out somehow i'll come back to that mm-hmm. you build the trust with the team because now you're spending time with them you're supporting them you're mentoring them coaching them as they go they now begin to trust you that you're not going to be giving them work they don't know how to do and not telling them how to do it so that you know they they start to feel like they can ask better questions of you and because that relationship and trust builds that means the work comes back better first time that frees your time because now you're not fixing things all the time not firefighting not going oh goodness me you know that client asked for that last week and we still haven't got it to them yet that's a big we need to do something about it so those things start building new time into your schedule again so the first the first bit i said it come back to how do we carve out that time that's where you need the internal intentionality you need to set that as a personal determination mm-hmm. that you will intentionally spend you know instead of spending half an hour with the team on a monday morning telling them what to do and the rest of the week telling them what they haven't done Let's carve out some time as a team to really start working not on what needs to be done, mm-hmm. but on how do we work together as a group of people? Uh, yes, yes, definitely. I almost said absolutely again, but I feel like I've been repeating that because I'm I'm in such agreement with regards to the 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 topics and the insights that you're going in at because the work can be managed, but the people need to be influenced. Yeah. And, we, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I sit on the board of the Professional Speaking Association in the UK. So there's eight of us on the board. We are all very different characters, very different characters, drawn from all sorts of walks of life. We're all speakers, but we're, you know, some uh, race at everything. Others want to take things a little bit more slowly and think them through and be more analytical and, Others don't mind what happens as long as everybody's happy. Uh, you know, there's that whole mix of, of uh, ways that people work. But we spend time every month at the board meeting talking about how are we as individuals working together? Where are the tensions? Where are the stresses? Where are the strains? Where are the real joys? Where is the, where's the happiness? Mm-hmm. Where's the fun? Mm-hmm. Um and we try to make sure we look at both sides. It's very easy to fall into this is going wrong, that's going wrong, you've annoyed me, you've done this, you know, point fingers and all the rest of it. When you first start talking about what working together really means. And I think mm-hmm. as leaders, we have to be open to some of that to begin with, because we've got to build the trust. We have if we said to people, you can tell me everything I'm doing wrong. What we can't do then is get defensive when they tell us. <laughs> absolutely. We've got to take it on the chin. We are <laughs> we are absolutely, I guarantee you now, whatever you do in your relationships, you are doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Because it's for right now. It's for right now. Yeah. And but if we're open to being told that we're, you know, that doesn't work for me you know you leave your coffee mug on the table and there's always a ring when you leave it behind and it just it it annoys me I know it's a trivial little thing but it annoys me okay I won't do that again 
That's fine. I know about it now. Rather than, well, I do that because there's no match. You know, the the kind of instant reaction that you might get. And I'm. It's a very trivial example, but you. I hope it makes, it makes sense. total sense. Absolutely, absolutely. And enjoying this thread where it really ties into that intentional relationship. I respect you enough, William, that when you're asking me for feedback, I'm coming from a place of candor and I'm telling you that the coffee ring really bugs me. And therefore I get an ick taste in my mouth for the rest of the day. So when you're asking me serious questions about work, I'm already irritated. Um, you know, that's kind of what I'm reading into what you're saying. <laughs> and, and and also I think, you know, there may be things, uh, there's a lovely quote I no idea who said it. So, uh, you know, if if somebody listening knows, email me and tell me who said this originally. I'd love to know. And that is, everybody else is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Mm, definitely, definitely. Uh, and I think, you know, bearing that in mind, we don't know uh, every detail of everybody's life, even if we work with them every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, there could be an aunt or an uncle who's seriously ill in hospital that we just haven't been told about because yeah. they don't want to talk about it. Yes. But it's on their mind. Yes. Maybe, you know, a sister with a disabled child. You know, who knows? Could be anything. It could be they've just had a big bill a couple of days unexpectedly for house repairs and they don't know how they're going to raise the money to, to deal with it, but they've got to find a way somehow. And all of that would be playing on their mind. And then we're expecting them to perform at work like nothing's happening. Yep. That's yes. kind of bonkers, isn't it? I mean, yes. absolutely. Absolutely. Like, so and, part of that trust thing and that intentionality in relationships is is be a friend. Mm. Be interested in what else is going on. Don't be inquisitive. Don't stalk people. No. You know, uh, inquisitive where they don't want you to be inquisitive, but be a friend. Be open to, you know, oh, God, you, you wouldn't believe what happened last night. I just need to tell you. And, and, and listen with an open heart and an open mind. And, um, and what I'm really hearing in the, in the crux of this, William, is that, as leaders, we have due diligence and responsibilities to create the safe safe atmosphere, to build the trust, to look at it more uh, in depth from not just operational tactics and what do you do for us, employee XYZ, but rather what's going on with you? How are you showing up? Um, what do you need from me from a place of curiosity? So hearing you know, that, of course, there's accountability and acceptance in the sense of what we're doing from a place of work. But again, as leaders, we're really responsible to lead the team from a place of a human-centric approach. And that means things, again, repeating like trust, um, the abundance mindset, right? So it's like, if someone comes in and they're underperforming, I would never assume that they're doing that to throw shade at me as their leader. I would never assume that they're doing that on purpose. It's, hey, I'm noticing this thing. Can we have a conversation and problem solve? And hopefully that person, you know, could say anywhere from here's a data dump of everything that's going on all the way down to the, I have some personal problems. And it's like, okay, so what do you need from us? And yeah. what do you need to do to be able to, to be your uh, performative self? Um, you know, whether it be down the road or in a couple of weeks, et cetera. So humility essentially is what's coming out for me. Yeah, I think that's a really good word. Um, you know, having having the humility to recognize that the people who work for us, however much experience they have, wherever they are in the organization, whatever their role is, they also are human beings and they almost 
without no in fact without exception they did not get up this morning <laughs> with the intention of making of having a bad day yes yeah. yes they, they got up this morning and came to work because hopefully they want to be there they want to do the work because they enjoy it it's worthy work uh, and of course they get rewarded for it absolutely but they've also got their lives to consider and the other things going on and if we're not prepared to to consider those as well then we're not really leading we're just instructing mm-hmm. yes yeah definitely it's really about that work-life integration for sure so william tell us i want to hear more about this book intentional mastery so you're basically identifying that we're stepping beyond your our expertise and building a better business. How do we get a hold of this copy? What are the top three takeaways uh, or value adds that we would get from reading your book? So I, the, the book's available, uh, as, as we like to say, it's, it's on Amazon, so you can get it there. Uh, you can also get it on my website if you would like. Uh, I can send you a signed copy. That'll be probably worth a bit less than the than the unsigned ones. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I may happily send anybody who'd like a signed copy a signed copy just order it on my website instead of Amazon and we can get it that way um, in terms of the books in three sections uh, the first section is about that journey of mastery that we've discussed uh, the middle section is about how we put that into practice is about strategies to make nice. that work so uh, I talk about uh, five strategies as well um, Four of those are business focused. So signposting, which is all about how you communicate with the world and in your relationships. Sales, because a business can't live without doing some selling. Um, I know many business owners would love it just to come to their door, but it doesn't work that way. The world's not like <laughs> that. We have to go out and sell sell what we do a little bit. That's a pragmatic yeah. approach, yeah. Skills, which are about what has the business got in terms of the skill set of all of its people and what do you need it to have to making sure you've got the right strategy for that. Uh, and systems, so having good systems in place that make sure things get done consistently and uh, to a quality standard that you want. Those are the four business ones. There's a fifth one. The fifth one is about you, the individual. Uh, I call it self in the book. It's about thinking about your emotional awareness. How aware are you of your own emotions? Um, and I tell some stories about how I became very closely aware of mine and what caused that. So that's something to, to look forward to in the book. Um, not just emotional awareness, though, of course, um, mental resilience as well mm. and physical well-being looking after this wonderful body that takes us through the world because if you're not physically well mentally resilient emotionally aware i don't know how you can run a great business you need all of those things in place so that's the middle section of the book and the, the final section is called mastering joy um, it's all about putting all of these things together in a way that brings you happiness and joyfulness every day. And the businesses I see that are really successful and really strong, the people at the top of them are having a whale of a time as mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. really enjoying what they do. And that's not by accident. It's by design, hence intentionality. Yes. Uh, so the last section is about how you bring that intentional joy into the business and make it fun to work in and with and on so that's that's the that's the three sections and i think you know the big takeaways are really understand that journey of mastery and how you can apply it secondly have the right strategies in your business to make it work really well and finally 
make it a real joy to be a part of being in the business that you're in. And I think this is totally applicable, not just to business owners, but to leaders in general. So going back to the the 60,000 foot thought process where using kind of that gauge, you can apply it as a leader and, you know, in, in looking and being more curious about your team members. William, I think you have a copy there on your desk. Can you just hold up the book for us? Yeah, there it is. For our YouTube viewers. Fantastic. So this is what the cover looks like. Make sure you go to Amazon or if you want to sign copy, go to uh, William Buis' website and we'll put that up in the link as well. Thank you so much for your experiences, expertise and your time uh, around intentional mastery and intentional relationships today, William. And, you know, thank you, Andrew, for for the opportunity to talk about it. And if there's anybody who's listening uh, or watching um, who'd just like to explore that in more detail one-to-one, I'm always open to a conversation. Um, You'll find on my website, you'll find links to book a call with me and uh, we can take the conversation on from there. Fantastic. Thank you so much, William. Take good care. You too. Thanks, Angie. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Human Side of Business podcast. I'm glad you could join us. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to stay updated with our latest content, make sure to visit our website. The link can be found in the episode description where you can subscribe to the podcast, sign up for our newsletter and learn more about our whole person leadership services. Sounds interesting? Explore the Whole Person Leadership Cohort by Intuity Performance, a unique program that offers unparalleled support to managers on every step of their leadership journey. Our program features evidence-based assessments, workbooks, group coaching, and interactive learning experiences to help you level up your leadership skills. Reach out today to apply to one of our upcoming cohorts. Until next time, take care and stay curious.